Welcome everyone to another episode of Where's This Going? I first hope that everyone is home, safe, and healthy during these crazy times, and I hope that today's episode will give you a little something to take your mind off of what's going on in the world, and today's episode is really, uh, it's a special one. I'll put it to you that way. Before we get into it, I want to first thank my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. All of U.S. Wellness Meats' beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in a variety of diets, have hundreds of paleo, keto, whole 30, sugar-free, and AIP friendly options. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural foods on their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. None of their stuff includes pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. And you can get all of your favorite U.S. Wellness Meats products as they ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling. And most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facility. When you use the promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you will receive 15% off your next order at uswellnessmeats.com. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Odd Socks. Odd Socks stand out and be odd. At Odd Socks, they offer some of the best quality socks in the game at the most affordable prices. They offer socks with all of your favorite athletes, actors. They even have ones with different foods and beverages on them, all your favorite cartoon characters. And if you're feeling classy, you can get their basics line, which feature high-grade, premium, stylish socks at a very affordable price. Go to oddsocksofficial.com, that's O-D-D-S-O-X, official.com today. And when you use the promo code WTG20, you will receive 20% off your next order. Go check it out right now. And I also want to give a huge shout out to my newest and latest sponsor. I'm super excited to be partnering with them. Shout out to Eat Clean Bro. I actually reached out to this company because I love their products and I was eating them all the time. So I said, hey, let's work on something because I want to promote you and I think that you guys have a fantastic service and I want to let all my listeners know that they need to really give this company a try. Eat Clean Bro is a convenient service that is designed to bring chef-prepared meals right to your front door. They address all the concerns of potential long-term health problems by removing processed food, chemicals, preservatives, all that terrible stuff from your diet and preparing your meals fresh with all natural ingredients. Some of their meals start at just $8.50, and I'll give you a few examples of my personal favorites. Last night, I had the pesto salmon, which is this perfectly roasted salmon filet with a little side of ginger honey glazed carrots, a little pesto brown rice. Absolutely delicious. I also recently had their skinny shrimp, which are these seasoned shrimp that are served over this baby spinach with a little bit of signature roasted garlic cauliflower rice. I mean, absolutely fantastic. I also finished it off with some protein chocolate covered balls, which Wow, I have eaten, I can't even tell you how many of these I've eaten over this quarantine, but really good, really healthy, good little snack dessert as you please. Here's how it works. Go to eatcleanbro.com right now. 
Go put together a good assortment of all your favorite meals. I highly recommend you add in those protein chocolate covered balls at the end though. And then use promo code WTG. You'll receive 15% off your next order. And that way, especially during this quarantine, you'll have a fridge packed with really hearty, delicious, healthy meals all ready to go. All you need to do is throw them in the microwave and boom, you're done. And my next guest is a singer and actor. He has had an unbelievable life story, and I'm super excited for you all to hear it today. His positivity, his wisdom, his energy brings a smile to everyone's faces, and his music is truly touching and beautiful and everything you could imagine. Please welcome my dear friend, Demir. Live. What's up? Demir, thank you for coming on today, sir. Thank you for having me, man. So, as I told you a few seconds ago, is there a little tidbit, little story, little something that the world doesn't already know about you? Yeah, actually, um, I've, I've not shared this with anyone but like close friends, but I did a, I recently did a year of celibacy. Mm. Yeah. That's the best one you've ever had. <laughs> That's yeah, I did oh, a. Oh, oh, that is. I did a year of celibacy, and that that includes no masturbation. Like, because some people do celibacy and they still masturbate. And Wait, to me, it's just it, like, is this over? No, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's over. It ended. It ended in July. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. fuck all the questions I have. <laughs> um, so, so where did this idea come from? Um, well, you know, I, I was thinking about my my. My act, my music, and my I'm also an actor, right. and my acting, and I wanted to find a way to take all of my existence, all of my energy, all of my focus, and put it into that without having any um, disturbances. You know, like a very clear version of myself going into what I'm doing, and I just thought about everything that was a distraction or everything that took energy from me. And so that was one of the like the the twenty things that it took away. Like, wow, yeah, yeah. That's... I did a lot of shit. Like it was, um, I stopped eating meat. You know, I started meditating. I started, um, you know, I became celibate. So just a lot of things. Yeah. So what did you learn about? What did you learn about yourself in that? Oh, in that. Year? So so it was like during this year you're gonna stop all of those things at once, or did you do like for a few months it's gonna be no meat, a few months this, like, or is it like? From June, let's say June first, twenty eighteen to June first, twenty nineteen, all these things at once. I'm extreme, man. I wow. did everything at once. Everything at once. Everything at once. Yeah. What was the? Which one was the hardest? Um, the celibacy was one hundred percent the hardest thing. <laughs> um, you know, because the first, I think the 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 first three months is the hardest. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let me change the words. Uh, the first three months is just. That's the time when you, it's the transition period when your body's not used to it and it, it expects you to do what you're used to doing. Right. You know what I mean? I think most people, a lot of people have sex to um, um, express some sort of emotion. You know what I mean? Whether it's right. happiness, sadness, anger, whatever. And so, uh, you know, when I had these emotions and I couldn't do it, my body was flipping out. 
Wow. I didn't know, you know, there were nights when I just didn't sleep. I just stood by my closet and like, kept a fist and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a whole year. Wow. You know, and so, um, yeah, I learned a lot about the way I respond to things in, in, uh, in contrast to sex. You know what I mean? Interesting. And connections, yeah. So how is your uh, how has that experience of being celibate for a year changed you your you and maybe your sex life now? Now do you view it differently because of that yeah, experience? Yeah, one hundred percent. How so? I didn't realize that when I was when I would look at a woman or meet a woman, that the first thing, probably like seventy five percent of my interaction with her and my decisions based on her was based on sex. Mm-hmm. Like my sexual desires, and I didn't realize that until this year of uh, celibacy, when I sat in front of a woman and I knew I was not having sex and I wasn't planning on having sex with them, because you know this is the rule that I've made for myself, and I just had to sit and just be in front of her and just she was just like it was like talking to a dude, you know, just like the same way you feel talking to a, another guy, where you don't have any uh, um, underlining um, motives, you know. I just started to just talk to women. But would you go on, like, would you go on dates and, no. like, you wouldn't do any, like, you wouldn't no. put yourself in a position, like, you were never in a position where they thought something was going to happen, or were you very clear about it, or you just fully avoided, like, dating and everything, women, sexual related, like that? I completely avoided it for the first nine months, because I knew just me by myself, it was going to be hard, without right. anything in front of me. Right. Um, I keep saying. Um, and so, but after the nine months... And it was coming to an end. I thought, you know what? I can now start going out and meeting women and, and seeing, you know, going on some dates and, and right. just seeing what's out there. And um, yeah, I, I did have a discussion with a couple of the, the dates that I went on. Like, hey, listen, just a heads up. I'm celibate. And what did they think about that? Um, some women were like, that sucks. Nice to know you, <laughs> you know? And, and um, But majority of them, were, they were like really interested in it. And they're like really surprised and excited about it, actually. Well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it could have uh, positive effects because now they're realizing that you're there for them right. as people and not, right. um, you know, to have sex all the time. Yes, that wall that, that right. people put up. Uh, they just took it down. Like once I told them that, it, everything was just like relaxed and easy and calm, and we were just there, two people, two humans, you know. Wow. Yeah. So then, wow, I was not, I was not expecting that. Jesus, <laughs> that's very cool. Um, and then so, so since then, you do feel like you, your first instinct when you will like meet a woman or you're you're in that kind of situation is to focus on who they are as people before before the sexual side. Does that is that, like, what has that really changed um, now, would you say? I think the first instinct is still, like, um, some sort of attraction, okay. which can be converted to sex, if you think about it. But, so, but I think that initial thing is some sort of attraction, whether it's energetic attraction or intellectual or physical. It's whatever that is for that person. But then once I meet them and I start talking to them, my desire is definitely for a closer connection. Oh. With them as a person, because now it's just like I've I've been celibate for a year. Like I don't care if we don't if we have sex or not. Wow. Like I've done that. You know, like my body is trained. I can do a whole year. <laughs> I don't know anything else after that. But you know what I mean. So um, yeah, it was um, it did definitely change that, and it just makes me want to have a closer relationship with the person before even going into that. 
were you were you counting down the days at the end of of the year? No. Or was it? It was just like I was like, shit. I might do another year. Would you Would you do it again? I would. I'm going to for sure. Really? For sure. It's It's. I can't explain to you how incredible that experience is because one, you get to know yourself. Two, the things that we do, and and this is for men and women. I think a lot of us we um we we will masturbate or we'll go meet someone and have sex with them. And it's a distraction from what's really going on. You know what I mean? Unless it's sex through like joy, like you're full of joy and you right. have sex. That's different. But every other emotion that we escape, you don't, you're not dealing with yourself. So I spent this entire year with these moments when I was sad or angry or feeling lonely. I was like, what do I do? What does Demir do when he's lonely? And I knew it was like, oh, normally I would find someone to, you know, but but then I couldn't do that. Then I had to figure it out. I I started going hiking. <laughs> I wow. I started going to Har- um, Harriman State Park. Okay, it's like an hour from you know from Manhattan. Um, dude, you can just go hiking for hours. One, you can see the city. The mountains are so high. You can see the city from from the park. I started doing like all these things that I didn't know that I really 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 enjoyed doing. So I started to get get to know myself. It was incredible. So what other what are some of the other I mean, didn't eat meat. What are some of the other things you didn't do? So I stopped eating meat. I stopped um I stopped drinking alcohol. Okay. Um so sex. Um I started meditating on a daily basis. What did that look like? 1 hour of meditation. But what is your like I mean, for some people it's Sitting quiet, some people like what? What does meditation look like for you? I did a couple different things to try out, but um, for me, I decided to just just silence and just to let my mind sleep and rest because so I was always thinking of things. You know, so you're sitting just sitting there in silence. Yeah, for just, a straight hour. Yeah. yeah. Wow. In no. the morning, at night. Um, I I normally did it um at night. Okay. But uh, sometimes I do it in the morning. Depends. But um. Because in the, I feel like in the morning I'm already sort of in a meditative state because I've just waken up right. and I've been like very relaxed and calm. But it's after a long day and especially after going out to sing in the subway where I've given up my energy and I've taken all sorts of different kinds of energy from other people and from the subway. I need to like really bring myself back down. Uh-huh. Yeah. And any other, any others? Any other big things? Um, so meditation, what else? <laughs> I got some weird ones that I did to, just, to, just to try it. Um, <laughs> so I stopped using lotion. Oh, wow. Lotion. Because I, I had a, um, something happen where I had like this weird reaction to um, something I used on my skin. So instead of using lotion, I just decided to let it rest. And then I had a weird reaction for my, um, under my arms for my deodorant. So I stopped using deodorant. And lotion, <laughs> um, just to let this the the rash heal, you know. Okay. And since I had been vegan for almost a year, and I hadn't been drinking alcohol, I like in like five days I realized, yo, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't musty at all. Like <laughs> the five days, I didn't wow. even think about it. So I decided, okay, you know, and it was summertime too, and that, so I decided, you know what, for this whole summer, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna use. Deodorant, and I'm not gonna. This is a lot for you, right? No, now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I'm not gonna use lotion. And what I experienced was with the uh, with the uh, deodorant. It was great because I didn't smell. I had no odor. But then when I would go and and cheat and have some sweets or like you know um, oh. eat some processed foods or some potato chips, the next day I would have an odor. That's so. In- but so you would sweat. You would still sweat like I, it's the summer. Yeah. But you weren't. You wouldn't smell. But I didn't have an odor. No. 
That's insane. Yeah. Unless I was eating wrong. Unless you were eating the wrong. The next day or two or three, I would I would smell. That's unbelievable. And so it was like very it was like very interesting. But I feel like I feel like there, what's the science on this? I feel like I've never even seen anybody uh I, I believe you. I just I've never heard of this. Well, I don't know anything about science, but Me neither. <laughs> but I do think that um, you know, when you eat it when you eat Bad foods. Right, it would make sense. Your body has different ways of getting rid of it, and that's one of the ways through through your sweat. You know, but if you don't have any um, anything bad in your system, then your sweat is just liquid. You know? Now, from wow. a mental perspective, do you feel like you were uh, compare the the mental side between a year of celibacy and all those things that you're doing, and going back to doing now? Do you, I mean do you, do you eat meat now? Do you do all those? Now I'm trying to find balance because, right. you know, I'm very extreme. So right. now I'm just trying to find balance. I, I'll eat, I'll have some fish if I feel like I need it. If mm -hmm. my body's desiring it, I'll have some fish every now and then. But that's, okay. yeah, that's about it. And so mentally, do you feel like, in terms of happiness, do you feel like you were happier during that, that celibate year or, or no? I cannot tell you the joy that I experienced. Wow. It was, it was you probably think I was crazy. Wow. I remember I was walking, <laughs> and, and it wasn't just happiness. It was all the emotions were like right there on the surface. Right, right, I was right. very open, and um, I was I was walking down by the on, on Riverside by the water, and I came upon this new park that they built, and these kids and the families were in it. They were playing, and it was this beautiful new park, and I started weeping immediately. And I was like, "This is so beautiful! Like the families playing by the water, and kids are incredible." And so, yeah, like. I don't think people cry tears of joy a lot, you know? You can ask 10 people, have they ever cried tears of joy? And two or three of them might say yes and be sure about it. Have you ever cried tears Hell of joy? Yes. There you go. So, I mean, within this year, I, I cried more tears of joy than I did in my entire life. Wow. Because I was just, um, it was, I was very clear, you know? Do you, so yeah, I mean that's like the ultimate. It seems like the goal is to have a clear mind. You felt like you had a clear mind. Yeah, clear, clear everything. Wow. Energetically, clear, spiritually, everything. But I also cried tears of loneliness because you know, <laughs> being celibate is. Yeah, what's the, I mean, wow, man. So do you think, so you would do it again, but would you do it like, you would, do you think a year at a time? Would you, could you do, do you think you'd do two years? Um, I don't know if that's necessary for me after having experienced what I did experience, right. but what I am doing, what I do plan to do next is I'm working on my second album. And I want to have that clarity in my music, you know, as a person when you when you write, it's coming from who you are in that moment. And so now that I'm starting to work on my next album, I want to like be very clear. So I'm going to do three months of celibacy. And then on the fourth month, I'll start working on the album. Oh, okay. Three months celibacy, then start working on the album. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a point um, or do you hope to get to a point where you feel like, you don't necessarily have to be celibate to have that right balance, but also you could also have that clear mind at the same time. Or do you feel like it's, I mean, you said you're an extreme person. Like it's either like celibacy to have my clear mind or no celibacy and I don't work on the album. Like, do you feel like it's one or the other? Or do you feel like you're trying to get to a place where you can do both? It's not just a clear mind though. That's the thing. The clear mind is a, it's a, it's a part of it, the, uh, what you get out of it, but it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a spirit heart soul thing that okay. I can't really explain. It's the energetic thing. You know what I mean? And um and so yeah, I can I can still do music and a lot of my music that's out now that's popular, it wasn't I was 
having sex, you know? So it's not that you can't do something right. without the celibacy, but there is another level. For example, if my, if my mental clarity is out of a scale of one to 10, if I'm, if I'm a seven normally, and that's great, when I'm celibate, you, I'm gonna be a nine or 10, bottom line. And if you're at a nine already or at a 10 normally as who you are, because everyone's different, when you go celibate, you're gonna go up to a 12. It doesn't matter. Like, so I could still do my music and I could still write my second album, but I'm, I just want that extra bit that I can get because it's a sacrifice for my music and for my art. So I wanna just be the best I can possibly be. For those moments, you know. Now, your first album came out in 2018, correct? Yes. And so, wait, when did, uh, so when did that match up with the celibacy and all that? Was it 2018 that was the year? That you- no, no, no. The so the first album I, I hadn't done the celibacy, but okay, I did the celibacy that year after. It was the year yeah. after. Okay, like I, I, it just ended last year, last summer. I got you. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so 2019, exactly. Okay, I feel so you. 20, end of 2018 to 2019. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So now take me back to, uh, so for, for the listeners out there that, you know, aren't familiar with your story, um, you have a beautiful story. Uh, I watched, um, well, I actually first came, how did I first found you because, oh, because I, do you, you know, Christina Hutchinson? The Christina Hutchinson, like comedian. No. Wait a minute. Does she do? She has a podcast. Guys, we fuck podcast. Yes, yes, yes. So, okay, yes. So she saw me singing in the subway, and she put it on. Her, so we've had her on the show. Oh, and I know, I know okay. her pretty well at this point. She's lovely. Um, love her. She's a, she's a fantastic comedian. She has a great the show. Her podcast is fantastic. Um, an even better person. But she posted you on her the Instagram story, story something yeah. like that. And then I saw it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Then I started looking more into it, YouTube, all that. Started checking out who you are. And then, um, so that's how I first came, uh, came about it. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, so. So that's wild because when she posted, she posted um, that, that little video of me playing. And then we had started talking and I, 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 we had a mutual friend. And I was, and I realized that one, a really good friend of mine, I used to go to her house and hang out, and her roommate is her partner on the show. The um, oh, Corinne, guys, yes, Corinne, wait, yes. So wait, so your friend, was... my friend was roommates with Corinne. Wow. Yeah, and so I mess. I was like, wait a minute, that's crazy. And Corinne had been telling me about the podcast years ago. Oh, so you knew, you know, Corinne. I met her through my other friend. Oh, yeah. and, she, and Corinne was telling you about guys we fucked for a while. Yes, yes. Wow. I mean, she wasn't telling me, but I'd heard her talk. We okay. talked about it as right, a, right, like right. as a group. I mean, now it's in the apartment. T- it's huge. I've, I mean, apparently. Wow. Yeah. So then you and Christina went back and forth, and I got you. Yeah, yeah. Very so interesting. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So um, small world, man. Very small world. So okay, so all that being said, will you kind of, um, in a chronological sense? I know that, so it goes back to, to what I was saying earlier. I, when I was looking you up, looking at these, you know, all your music and all your content, there was a, I think it was through Honda, like the Uncharted, is it Uncharted? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, they did this really good uh, segment. Um, I think there was a couple of little different little clips on YouTube um, about, you know, growing up, your life growing up, uh, how you got into music. And then I think there's another one where, it's t- where it was, shows you and recording your first album in LA and all that stuff. Um, 
but there, no one's going to tell the story better than you. So will you give listeners a little bit of background of, um, if you will, life growing up? Because I know that is a big part of who you are and what mm-hmm. drives you today. Um, so uh, born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, Where at in Brooklyn? Uh, Bushwick. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff, but I'm going to just like give you a little exactly. snippets. So born in Brooklyn, um, my parents were living in a mosque and uh, with me, my brother, and my sister, and they ended up breaking up. Um, and so I went with my my aunts. Um, so did my my other siblings. And it just became it just got things just got crazy like immediately. <laughs> my, my mom started doing drugs, um, and my dad got locked up for I didn't like. Yeah, some crazy, some craziness. I don't, I don't put him out there. Uh, he'll be mad at me if I do. Um, so, so he got locked. He was in jail for twenty years. My mom was on drugs, um, and so suddenly I had no parents. So we, you know, we went from being in the mosque where all the families are living together, and really you have twenty, thirty, forty parents because everyone takes care of everyone. You know, to having no parents and uh, being with my um, aunts and uncles and different people in my family feeling. When you say living in the mosque, do you mean like physically living in the mosque? Yeah, it was a it was a gated community. Wow. So in I Bushwick. Yes. I've yeah. never even seen this. Well, I I'm, I'm 35, so that who knows if it's still there. Okay. But um but yeah, it was a gated community and we went to um Muslim school. We like my first language is Arabic. Okay. Like everything. Wow. Um yeah, so once they left once they broke up, we left there and um yeah, and I, I started living with my, my, my aunts, and I was very angry. You know, I missed my dad. I missed my mom. And I became, and I, you know, I was also one of those kids where if I didn't have it my way, I flipped out. I flipped out. One time. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, one time I asked my aunt if I could go outside. This is not fun. I shouldn't be laughing. It's terrible. I asked my aunt if I could go outside, and she said no. And so I decided I was going to go outside. And also, I was going to take that bag of apples in the kitchen and take them outside and throw them in into every window of every living room on that block huh. of every house. You just decided. And I broke <laughs> Yeah, because I was so angry. I was like, you, you, you're going to tell me not to go outside? Yeah. This was the kind of kid I was. How I was a nightmare. When, when I did that, uh, nine maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a nightmare. So what, so what age did your... Um did your parents kind of split up and then you, you know, kind of found yourself with no parents? What age, how old are you? Seven or eight. Wow. Yeah. And how many siblings do you have? It's seven of us all together. Jesus. Yeah. So then, so from there? So from there, um, you know, my aunts couldn't, they couldn't handle me. They couldn't take care of me. And um, so my grandmother took me and my grandmother was a different kind of person. She was very, very abusive, very, um, I want to use the word evil. Um, just because that's really how I feel that she was. So she would, um, she, we were in a, basically a one bedroom apartment with a walk-in closet at the other end of the living room. And that, that was our room, me and my brother, we both went together and she would lock us in there every day. The lock was on the outside of the door. And if we had to pee or if we were hungry, we'd have to get on the floor and yell through the crease of the door. So, so that she could come over and open the door in the middle of the night if we had to pee or something. And uh, there was one window in this little closet, and she um, nailed it shut, you know, so we couldn't escape. What was, her, what was her, like, reason? For any of this? Yeah. Had no idea. 
No idea. She's very um, Christian. Um, she even started her own church. And I, I just, I, I have a feeling now looking back that there was something wrong mentally, for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. She even put locks on the refrigerator. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to steal. Are we going to steal food or oh, something? Oh, yeah, no, there's something. Yeah, there was something wrong. And, and she was being abused by our grandfather, her husband, physically abused. Okay. And, um, yeah, so there was definitely something wrong. And it was so messed up, man. I mean, it got to a point where it was so messed up that when he would hit her, I would laugh as wow. a kid because she did the same thing to me, you know? He would hit, he would beat her. She would come upset and she would beat us, you know? Wow. So when, whenever I did see him hit her, we, me and my brother would laugh. That's how messed up it was, wow. you know? And you're at that point, how old are you in those days? Um, I think by then I was like 12. Wow. 12, yeah. And I remember one time in the car, um, they they were arguing my my grandfather and my grandmother and um and he he just slapped hauled off and slapped her like with his right hand while he was driving and she was just quiet immediately and I like I tried not to laugh and it just came out of me and I just laughed like one of those <clears throat> like that's how messed up it was and she heard me stop the van came out um into the back of the van with a rivet gun. I don't know if you know what a rivet gun is, but when, when a car has a dent or a hole or something in it, you put, a, you put this steel plate over it, and then you shoot these um, um, nails into the car to hold okay. the plate there. And she, she took that and hit me in the head with it. And obviously, I shut up. I wasn't laughing anymore. And there was just blood. I had a white shirt on. My whole the white shirt all in the front was just red blood. Wow. And we just drove, kept going. Kept on with the day like nothing happened. Wait, so in your head, when you're like, even when you're laughing at, at seeing your grandfather hit her, it's mostly because like your, would you say like your 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 notion of normalcy or what people should or shouldn't do is kind of messed up because you never like what what no for me what, what was it that that maybe like made you laugh or that made did you think it was okay in your no head? it was one of those things that when someone does something terrible to you. And you're watching them walk away and they trip. It was that laugh. Like, I see. Good for you. Now it's, you know. I see. You, now you're paying for what you did to it's me. It's a good for you, like, like fuck right. you kind of laugh. You, you're paying for what you did to me. Karma kind of laugh, you oh, know. Okay. And so that's what it was. it was. It wasn't that I thought it was funny that she was getting hit. But it was for me that the person that comes mm. up, this shadow that comes up and beats me. I got you. I get to watch you get beat. Ha ha. You know, it's your turn. And so all, like, was the, that kind of animosity between your grandmother and you, was it just you or was it with all your siblings as well? It, well, it was just me and my brother living with her. This other okay. siblings split up. So where did they go? Um, um, my brother went with my grandmother. My two youngest siblings, brother and sister, they went to Canada um, with their mother. Um, my, my older sister stayed with our aunt. They loved her. She was she was really good, um, and yeah, I think that's and and my uh, my other sister was adopted. Okay, yeah. So they took her right from right from the hospital. So wow. Um, yeah. So seeing seeing her get what she get, gave to me made me laugh. Made me feel good. You know. And then okay. So then, so then take me a little bit further. How mm -hmm. did then? 
I mean, how how long did that last? And then where did it go from there? So I, I think we were there for a, a, maybe two years um, with my grandmother. And I was so tired of it. I was so fed up with it. I had a plan. I decided I was going to um, just misbehave as much as I can. So she can, like everyone else did, they just got rid of me. So I said, all right, I'm, I'm just going to just misbehave. I'm, I'm not going to listen to her. And there was this moment when um, we were outside. I don't know what what happened. She told me to do something, and I and I just ignored her. And she picked up a a broomstick, and she was like heading over towards me to hit me. And uh, and I remember I picked up a rock, and I looked at her. I was tired of getting beat up, hit by her, abused. And so I picked up a rock, and I just I gave her this look like, "We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this." And she saw that look. She looked at my face, and she 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 didn't uh, recognize that that me that she was looking at. And she put the stick down, which she'd never done. Mm. Every time she wanted to hit me, she did it, no matter what. Even if we were in public, she put the stick down. And she said, "Okay, I see." And I think in a week or two, I was in a group home. Wow. The car came. The stranger I didn't know drove me off. Wow. That's the last time you saw her. Not the last time I saw her. As a, I mean, but as a kid, yeah. I saw her again as an adult, like at funerals and things like that. So what age were you when you went to the group home? Uh, 13. Wow. And were you going to school up until that point? Yeah. Man, it was a nightmare. I remember we were living in Staten Island when I was with my grandmother. And okay. me and my brother, we would go to, um, what did they have at the time? I can't remember the name of the supermarket that was really big at the time. But uh, we'd go to the supermarket and we'd ask if we could pack bags. For the customers. And so we stand back and people come with the groceries and we just pack them. And then some people give us tips. So we do that all day, eight to 10 hours a day. And we'd make like $100 between the two of us. Wow. And for us, and you know, 12, 13 year old, you just went out for the day and made $100. That was insane to us. We get home and she would take the money from us. And wow. mind you, at this time, we, I mean, I had holes in my sneakers. People would tease me in school. My toes were popping out. That's what I wore to school on a regular basis. And she would take this money that we made. Yeah, that is evil. And not, not buy us anything that we needed. You know what I mean? And so we tried to get smart and we started to hide the money. I remember my younger brother, he put it in his underwear. We came home, put it in his underwear. And you know, we said, we didn't really make anything. We didn't, you know. And she stripped him naked. Took the money from his underwear. Like, this, that's what I'm talking about when I say evil. Wow. Like, you know. So then... Group home. What was? Oh man, it was worse. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was. It was kind of. It's a group home in Staten Island. No, I, they took me to Brooklyn. I went to a group home in Brooklyn. Wait, was it? Was it Brooklyn? Was it? Yeah. It was you and your brother. No, no, it was in Far Rockaway. It was my first group home. Just me, because I was the only one that had the plan to misbehave until she got rid of me. He, my brother was. He's more relaxed, more subtle, and less extreme, and um. Probably more mature too, you know. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't take it. Um, so he stayed with her, and I ended up going to this group home in Far Rockaway. And it was this huge building, and it was like 12 to 15 boys in each apartment. Um, and, you know, you just, even being around family who's abusive was like almost better than being in a, a group home with a hundred other really angry kids your age and older 
because then there were, and, and only people watching were staff members who were being paid hourly to be there. Right. They didn't give a shit, really, most of them. I mean, some of them didn't genuinely care. But yeah, just, I mean, that's when I had to start defending myself. I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to fight, so I, I got beat up all the time. Also, I was a loud mouth, and I thought I was funny, so I would always, you know, snap jokes on people. And um, yeah, that was when I got introduced to ass weapons, wow. you know, and being around people who were in gangs, being around people, kids who had been in jail, who had, you know, probably murdered other people or whatever. Um, and that was a nightmare. Yeah, that was a nightmare. What did you think at that point your life would become? I wasn't thinking about my life at all. You know, in, in those days in the group home, I thought about my brother. I get emotional just thinking about it, yo. I thought about my brother and I thought about my parents, um, my brothers and sisters, but mainly my two brothers, my older brother and my younger brother. I thought about them the most and my parents, and I missed them so much. I thought about that and I thought about just like making it past the day, you know, getting, getting past the day and not getting beat up. <clears throat> but I was also one of those kids I didn't, I wasn't afraid of getting beat up. A lot of times, you know, if you're in a room full of people who are like really angry, you don't need a, to do anything for someone to fight you or to beat you up. You don't need to do anything, you know? So even the times where I was well behaved, you know, people came up to me and slapped me in the back of my head. And I knew I couldn't fight, but I wasn't going to let someone just slap me in the back of my head. <clears throat> so, you know, I tried to fight. I tried to defend myself. You know, and how long were you in the in the group home for? I was in that group home for a year, and every other one for, for a year. So from from thirteen to eighteen, <clears throat> I was in five group homes, and each one for about a year. And could you? I mean, what? Like, how does do they school you? Like, what is? How does that work? So some of the this one, the first group home, they had a school right across the street, and it was only the kids from the group home, um, like a private school. <laughs> well. Private school sounds like way too nice. <laughs> you know, group home. Let's say group home school. Um, and but in some of the other group homes that I was in later, you were like I was in a house that was in a regular community, and I went to a normal public school. You know. Okay. Wow. And so then at eighteen, then you're you're on your own basically. You know, you, there was some kids who were twenty one in the group home. You could stay till you're twenty one. And you decided. Um, I was I was eighteen. Almost 18 when I was in I was in a lockdown group home called Leak and Watts upstate, um, not upstate, but in um, uh, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I was there because uh, I was the, it was a group home in Queens and this staff member. I got to a point where I knew how to fight. Once you get beat up enough, you start to realize, oh, that's why I'm getting beat up because yeah. I just look at the fist coming towards me and then you start to like move away from the fist and like oh shit I moved away from the fist that was crazy you're like what can I do I start move away you know <clears throat> so I learned how to fight and I got to a point where my anger that I always had now I had a sort of a vehicle to to use it and express express it physically mm -hmm. which was terrible for me so I got to a point where uh, um this staff member he threatened me he th he told me if he saw me in the street he would sl he would slit my throat. Is a staff member yeah, yeah. who's supposed to? But yeah. what did you what did you provoke? To I him? was probably making jokes. I would prank people. I was. And he said I that just, to you. I just I was just a wild, silly, hyperactive kid. Okay. And he couldn't stand me. I made his job hard, basically. 
you know? And um, yeah, and he said that to me. He was like, if I see you in the street, I'm going to, you know, slice your throat. And as soon as he said that, I attacked him. Like, you, those words to me were like, right. not cool to say to me. <laughs> so um, I attacked him, and because of that, I got sent to this lockdown facility upstate. When I got there, it was the big difference was um, whenever you get into a fight in a group home, you, you fight until the staff members break it up. And you kind of hope they break it up. You don't want to go till the death as a, right. <laughs> like as a teenager. Right. You don't want to do that. So, um, but this group home, they did not do that. You know, this, and I'm sure the people on top didn't know that they were doing this. But the staff members, if you if you were getting into a fight, they were um, there were these big metal, uh, these big magnet doors, like f- five inches thick, and it was in the living room and in the, the like the front door, and you couldn't get out unless somebody hit the button. You know. And that's how you got in and out of the place. And so um, if you were getting into a fight, they put you in the living room, closed that door. And there was a big window where you could see what was going on in the living room so they could watch what the kids are doing. And everyone would go to that window and just watch the two people fight. And whoever, and they wouldn't open the door until, you know, there was one person left standing, you know. Yeah. It's like animal. It was, it was. But it was, lucky for me, that was the thing. And actually... That was the thing that ma- that snapped me out of this world that that I was in that I had been put in that I thought there was no other way out. You know what I mean? Um, it was this kid who was mentally challenged, and he would go up to people randomly and just pick, start a fight with them. And he did. Today was my day, and so he came up to me and he was saying something that wasn't you couldn't tell what he was saying. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, he wants to fight me. So they put us in this room, locked the door. And so it's like the guard. It's almost like a cockfight. You feel like like the guards, oh, the guard, or the people working there, the staff put, member. They they're like, okay, these two are yeah. fighting. Let me throw you guys in. Yeah, instead of breaking it up, because breaking up a fight and some of, some of the kids are twenty one. So right. bringing up a fight is not an easy thing to do. Right. You can get injured. You can get punched. You can get hit. You you know the kid might attack you. So staff members are like, I'm. This is just my job. I'm. I don't want to. Wow. Just go. Y'all want to fight? Go ahead. So then what happened door. with this kid? And so I'm, I'm in this room with him locked in, and I'm like, what the hell? is?" And he's like, he's crazy. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what's going to happen right now. Who's going to win? Like, and I was just thinking, like, what am I doing? What, what's happening with my life? So we start fighting, and luckily I got the best of him because I, got, I was really good at wrestling. you know. I, and, and because I was so small for so long and I got beat up so much, I knew how to get the best of a bigger person. Because I, I was good at headlocks. <laughs> I put him in a headlock. I just kept slamming him on the floor, and I put him in a headlock and put him to sleep. And I, I let go of him. You know, I let go of him. Yeah. He exhaled. I knew, so I knew he was okay. And they opened the door, and I walked out. And I went up to my room. I closed the door. I was still out of breath. And there was a window. There was a mirror behind my door, and I remember looking at the mirror, all these scratches on my face. And I just, I said to myself in the mirror, what the hell are you doing with your life? Wow. And I just stared at myself and I said it again. I said it again. And I kept repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. And then I started crying and I kept repeating it. And I must have been standing there for at least an hour doing that. I don't know what was happening, but I just kept asking myself that question. And now that I think about it, it's like like what they do with meditation, you Uh know? When you meditate huh. and you say, you say, I am enough. I am enough. 
I am enough. You keep saying that, you start to believe it. So I kept asking myself this, this question and I, it, I guess it sort of pulled me out of this thing that I was stuck in, you know? And I cried myself to sleep and the next day I went to the main office and I told them I'm ready to go. When you were 17 and up, 17 and 21, you can decide when you leave. Mm. So I went to the office and I, I, um, I asked this woman, I said, um, I said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm ready. And so she said, okay. And she pulled out her paperwork. She started writing something down and she asked me, she said, um, okay, where are you going to work? And I, was, I said, oh shit, I didn't think about that. I don't, I don't have a job. And so she wrote something down. She said, okay, who are you going to live with? I hadn't thought about that either. And I said, I don't know. She wrote something down. And she said, um, she asked me all these questions that I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no plan. And so eventually she just stopped and she put the pen down and she looked at me almost like a, like a mother. And she said, Demir, like, if you leave here, you, we, we're not allowed to take you back if you decide to leave. And my heart just dropped. I was so scared. You're making me scared thinking about that. <laughs> I was so scared when she said that. And she was like, do you really want to do this? And I, I, I just, I was like, yes. After what I went through that day before, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm ready to go. I have no plan. I don't know where I'm going to live, where I'm going to work or anything, but I'm ready to leave. Put in the paperwork. She said, okay. She put in the paperwork. So I knew at that moment when I left that office, I had a short amount of time, whether it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months, I don't remember, but I had a short amount of time to figure out where I was going to live and what I was going to do so that I wasn't homeless, you know. And so I figured it out. I figured it out. I ended up going to school, going to college. I signed up for a community college, Mercy College, so I could live on campus. Then I, you know, that, that handled what I was going to do with my life, which was school, computer science, and also where I was going to live on campus, you know. And that was, that was the end of that life for me. Wow. Yeah. And, okay, so then you get to, you get to college. And I mean, like, in this time, is, is there any communication with, with family members? Like, do they know where you're at? Do they know what you're doing? Do you know what they're doing? When actually, when I left that, that group home, um, I, I contacted my aunt, who, who was living in Queens, and she let me stay with her until school started. Okay. So she let me stay with her for a couple months with my cousins. And actually, that's when I first started singing. Because my cousin, her, her son, um, incredible singer. Right. Born with perfect pitch, everything. And we'd be doing dishes, and he'd be like, Demir, do this. Ha, ha, ha. And I go, huh? I couldn't do it. Something so simple. And then eventually he'd make it more and more difficult, more and more difficult. And I'd start doing the riffs. Yeah. Right. I, I, I saw it was when one of the videos, I think it was, uh, you talk about how your, your cousin was that much better than you. And he, he's um, great. Yeah. And okay. So, so do you remember? So that was the first time you, you, you started to sing. Did you, did you, like your whole life, did you like music? Did you think of it as anything special? I mean, I sung in church a bit on the choir, just like most kids in church. You know, they have a children's choir. You go right. sing on the choir. Um, and actually, I did sing all the time, like to myself, mm. all the time. When I was in um, the group homes before that, I was always humming a tune, something that was um, that I made up. People be like, what song is that? I don't know. Just made it up, you know. Um, but I never thought of myself as a singer or never took it seriously or never, most of the time didn't even realize I was singing. People told me like, 
what are you singing? And I was like, I'm not singing. You know, it was just something I did. It was like uh, uh, laughter and just like humming to myself was like, it was like my therapy during these hard times. And I didn't, I didn't realize that at the time, but looking back, I, I, I see that. So then you get to college. Um, you're just, are you just focusing on, so you're doing computer science and like when's the, when's the music start to kick in? And how, how do you even like, was it an easy, I mean, adjusting to college for most people is very difficult, but especially when you have this kind of upbringing and this life before. I mean, yeah. are you able to adjust okay? Are you able to make it was, friends? Or it you- was tough. It was tough. So, so the music started when I was those couple months before college with my cousin. Um, and he just, he opened my mind up to it. Like, oh, you can actually learn this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then I went off to college with that in the back of my head. The music stopped. I didn't do anything with music. I was just focusing on classes. And suddenly I became introverted, like truly introverted. Like I would, I would get so nervous to walk into a class if I was late because everyone was already there and they would see me mm-hmm. and look at me. And I didn't feel like I belonged there. And so sometimes I wouldn't even go to a class if I was late. I would just sit in the stairs until the next class. Um, And so adjusting was very, very difficult because I came from a world where, you know, if if you wanted to, if you were angry and you wanted to fight, you just fought, you know? And I came from just being around a bunch of angry people that, and they were like me. I was also angry. So we understood each other in a way, you know? Then being in college where everyone was just, I mean, I'm sure people are angry too in some way, but it was different. And um, I just, I just, yeah, I didn't feel like I belonged. So I, I was isolated. I didn't have any friends in college. There are people right now who might even hear this or who might have even seen my videos on YouTube and still don't know they were probably in class with me in college. That's how quiet and isolated I was. Was it, do you think... Well, do you think it, it all had to do with where you had just been just three or four years or a year prior? 100%. Wow. Yeah, that, because that, that life, that lifestyle. Do I was you, loud in the group homes. I was loud as hell. Right. Do you feel like, do you feel like some of those kids that are in group homes and, um, you know, I guess it's government-run system, uh, do you feel like a lot of them are forgotten? Or they're treated, um, I mean, some of the things you're describing is literally animal-like behavior yeah. in terms of like even the way that the staff members are treating them. Um, do you feel like for the most part, yeah, like those kids, I mean, you're, you know, a, a great example of you've done amazing things in such little time coming out of, of that life. But, you know, for a lot of people who don't have maybe that same drive or that same awareness or that, you know, love in a different way. I can understand why they just get lost in it forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you feel like do you do you, do you, do you know any of the other ones that were in there with you what they're doing now or do you do you feel like this system is made to not really help those people? It's If you think about it, when you look at the structure of a group home, the the biggest problem is that you you can never take care of a child the way that a parent would, a loving parent. You know, and whether it's a biological parent or not, mm-hmm. just a loving parent, you know. Um, and so you've got, you've got people working a nine to five. And I mean, how many jobs have we had when we went in and we like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to do as little as possible today 
because I don't feel like it, you know? And you do as little as possible. So being a group home staff, that translates into possibly really damaging these kids for whatever reason, you know? If you just don't feel like breaking up a fight today, you just don't feel like it. And I get it. You're working in this group home five days a week for years, you know? But that one fight could, like, damage a kid, you know what I mean? So um, I, I think it either makes you or break you. You know, and and it's not, there are staff members who really help and they really care. And I remember them, you know, and they did a lot to try to help me to grow and get out of that. Um, but the majority are not like that, you know. Um, and so to answer your question, I think, yeah, a lot of them are forgotten or sort of lost in this world, in, in this mindset, really. That's the big part because I, some, some of the other uh, kids actually... Uh, well, they're not kids anymore. They they found me on Facebook, you know, and communicated with me um, a bit. And, you know, some of them still have the same mindset. And it's hard to change your mindset. I mean, what's amazing about, you know, I've now talked to you for 45, 50 minutes is um, even by interacting with you, you can't tell, you can't tell this whole life that you've had. You know what I mean? You, you, uh, come off as an incredible, like the anger you're talking about, that's something that I can't even recognize. You know, it seems like, um, like, do you feel like, do you still feel that anger sometimes? Do you still feel like you have that kid in you, even though, you know, you, now you're smiling and, 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 you know, it's seemed very calm. Like it's, it's, I, I imagine doing that 180 switch is, uh, you know, I'd imagine there's still some of that younger self in you somewhere. No. You know, you know how they say people don't change. I I agree with that to some extent, but I what I do think is that we all have a little bit of everything in us, mm. all of those things, the evil and the good. But we decide to make one of them the star mm. of our life, whether it's happiness, whether it's anger. That that one thing becomes the the leading, the lead man. You know what I mean, so to speak, and. During that time in the group homes, my anger was the leading man in this show called Demir, right? And um, but when I came out of that, I realized that 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 dude can't play this role that I want to play now mm. in this new life. So I just try to find ways to um, to get rid of him or to put him, give him a small part, you know, let him come out and say one or two lines, <laughs> and that's it. Your show is done, buddy. You know. So and th- and I think that's what happened. So the anger that person is still there. I've had moments in my adult life, like three moments that I can remember, where I felt that anger come up, mm. and it scared the shit out of me because I'm like, oh my god, ooh, that's that's intense, you know. Um, and it's usually if someone is doing some something wrong to me, and I'm innocent, I'm completely innocent, you know, that anger comes out. That's how it comes out now. Wow, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, now I just lead with other things. And that's where music came in because music was, thera- it was very therapeutic for me and it relaxed me. It, it just gave me so much ease and calm because I was expressing pain in a different way. Huh. And so now before we get into more into the music, I'm, I'm also curious in terms of like now present day, um, family, do you, st- I mean, do you still keep in touch? Like what is that like? Today, yeah, yeah. I, well, I keep in touch with my dad. Um, we've been talking. He got out a couple of years ago, and um, 
we have a pretty good relationship now. I mean, the best relationship we've ever had. We have it now. And um, my mom, and that's, that's, most of my music is about my mom. And that's a much more complicated, difficult relationship um, because of her mil- mental il- illness mm-hmm. and um, just so much. Right. I don't know. There's like no one else has broken my heart more than my mom. And just the just the idea, um, just this idea of wanting one, wanting a mom, that alone shatters my heart. Just wanting one and not having one, you know, um, because she couldn't, she couldn't. So, um, yeah, so my relationship with her is, Last time I spoke to her, she does this thing where she'll she'll um she'll disappear for a couple months or a year and we'll file a police report, we'll, you know, do a missing person thing, everything, and she'll pop back up all of a sudden and she'll call me after a year of being missing and she'll ask me for fifteen dollars. And it breaks, it just, yeah. it breaks me. It breaks me so much. And so um, last time I spoke to her, I told her, well, not the last time, but a couple times before that, I told her, I said, we're not going to have this kind of relationship. It's too painful for me. Really, it's, I don't want to pick up when you call. So if you call me, it's not going to be for money. You know, it's going to be to talk about whatever. I don't care what we talk about, but it's not going to be for money, you know? And she said, okay, okay. All right, all right. But can I have $15? I was just like, God damn it! Oh! You know? And then and then she tried, she tried, but then it came back, started again. And so, now I just have all these voicemails on my phone from her. Like right now. From recently and I just I don't know I don't want to feel the pain I don't want to feel the pain that it that it's going to take to to call her and talk to her my brother's way better at that you know he even writes me you know mom's been asking about you I'm too sensitive man <laughs> so like so sad uh, I talk to her every now and then though like when I can when I'm feeling my highest gotcha and I'm full of joy. I can call. I call my mom. But if I'm already struggling and I'm low, I can't talk to her because she, she'll. It'll bring me right down all does, the way. Does she know about your music? And does she know? Do they know what you do? She called me and left a message when I was on um, Undercover Boss. I think someone told her about it and she watched it. So that was. It was. My mom didn't go to my graduation. Any of them. You know, I had shows um, doing theater. She didn't come. She came to one because I promised her I'd give her $20. Wow. So she came. And I didn't give her the money in the beginning because I knew she would leave. So I waited all the way to the end, and I gave her the money. And that was the one, sh- the one thing she came to. And, um, and so when she called me about being on Undercover Boss and that she saw me, you know, that was just incredible. Yeah. Just for her to, like, wow. 
I don't know, give me some sort of recognition and know that I'm like doing music. And she wanted to be a singer, you know. And I think um, I always remember that about her. She always she was always singing. Um, yeah. And how does um, I mean I don't know if one day you want to have kids and I have a kid. Oh, you, you have a kid. <laughs> yes. Oh, do you? Yes, I do. Um, I have a 15 year old son. I didn't know this. Emmanuel. Yes. 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 Well, then there you go. 15 year old. So then, how is that? How has that changed you? Um, your life changed you as a as a father it's been crazy actually so right when i got out of out of the group home and i went to college i started going to church and i met his mom in that church okay see i that was there because i think i had seen something on your social media with with the i think it was it was a manual mm-hmm. but i thought it might have been like a maybe a nephew or something like yeah. that because of the celibate conversation so yeah. i didn't know i didn't know that so he's 15 he's 15 wow and I don't, I, you know, I don't put him on a, a lot of the social right. media stuff because his, his classmates, you know, they, some of them have, they know my music. Right. And so I don't, I don't want to like sort of put him out there. He's, he's very to himself. And um, I don't think he would really appreciate it if like I have a lot of his stuff on my page. So I, you know. That's why. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's he's like he's like But he's your son. I was. He's my son, yo. He's my son. <laughs> Not and a nephew, he's your son. He's my son. And actually, so when I got out, when I started college, I, I I was lonely, so I went to church and I met his mom in the church, and she was the only person that I spoke to. You know, during this time of isolation, being out of the group home and not feeling like I I fit in this new world. She was the only person I had, and I fell in love with her, of course, right? And um yeah, I lost my virginity to her. I was 19. And she lost her virginity to me. And she got pregnant the very first time. <laughs> very, the very so first time. 19. So the very you're both 19. Time. No, no, she was 17. Oh, she was 17. Yeah. The very, the very first time. Yeah. And uh, that was shocking, to say the least. Well, especially you had just been out of the group home. Yeah. You know, you're in college and then your father, well, how long after being in the group home were your father? Um, a year or two? A year and a half, year, year and a half, two. Fuck. So then what's going on in your head through that time? Well, the thing was, I told her, first of all, the, the, that sexual experience was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare. I don't, I don't give too many details, but she was crying, bleeding, and I was like, I don't want to do, I never wanted to have sex with her. Before marriage, I was always waiting till marriage, okay, okay. and that was always the plan. And it was her plan too. But then she'd get these moments where she just wanted it, and she would pull at me and like just like try to like take off my pants, you know. And I got to a point where I like didn't want to lose her, so I just oh, I did it, okay. and it was terrible. Like I thought it was this is the worst thing. Why are we doing this? And she's crying, oh my God, and she's pregnant. Yeah, and then and she got pregnant. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but from pre-cum. She got pregnant because I didn't come. Wow. Um, and yeah. And so the thing for me was when I, when I'm the one that told her too. I sensed it. Oh, you knew. It was weeks later. I was, and I said to her, I was like, I think you should get a pregnancy test. And she was like, what? And I was just like, something's changing in you. And she got a test. Sure enough, she was pregnant. So what's your reaction? To that? And I was like, I was scared. I was not ready for it. And I, was, I just felt ruined in a way. 
But I told her, I said, whatever you decide, I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to support you. It's your body, you know? And um, I, I didn't even, there was, well, I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I wanted, part of me was like, just tell her to have an abortion and this will be gone. It'll be over. But the bigger part of me just told her like, hey, whatever you decide, I'm going to be there. So then how do you, I mean, so then you have a child at 19. What do you, you're already, you know, coming out of the group home. They're like, how are you going to feed yourself? Go live. And now you, all of a sudden you have another individual, a little baby to take care of. Like, what are you, do you work? I mean, how did. I went and found a job. I was working at, oh my God, I was working at a call center for Geico Auto Insurance. And you'd sit with these headpieces on. And the phone would ring, and there was no button to answer it. It would just answer itself for eight hours a day. It was a nightmare. During but college, you're doing this? I left school. Oh, you left school? I, I left in the middle. Yeah, I left in the middle to get the job. I was like, I need to, I need to save up. I have nine months. Like, I was, you know, I had to, like, I was trying to get it together. And so, um, yeah, I, I, that's the, that's, that was the first job I had. Nightmare. I used to listen to Boys to Men driving to work and just cry. Because I want to be there. Um, and then I ended up uh, becoming a fitness trainer. And that's sort of what I did through up until, inter, you know, music. Acting. So then, okay, so like, let's get it. So, so then you get into music. When do you realize I'm going to make this full time? I mean, you know, it's beautiful. For me, what I love about uh, your work is not only like the actual work itself, um, it's your message, um, as to, or at least from the, the, the things that I've seen you talk about, um, is the reason why you do it, yeah. you know? Um, so for people who aren't familiar exactly with you in the subway and everything, we just talked about how you got into, you know, performing in the subway, daily schedule, what that looks like, um, where the idea came from, like how that all came about. So um, I had always had this urge. So after having those moments with my cousin in the kitchen with singing, I started to think about it more. And I began to have this urge to sing in front of people, you know. And that over years just started to build and build and build. And I was, um, I started acting before this. So I was doing a show in Germany, theater. And um, the very last show, I broke my foot. In the very last show. Broke my foot, had to stay in Germany, and I, I couldn't move around much, and I was stuck in a room, so I decided to buy a guitar. That was how I bought a guitar. That was how I started playing guitar, because I've always wanted, I think everyone sort of kind of always like want to try to learn how to play guitar. It's just one of those things. And so I bought it, and I just sat in the room with my broken foot and just played guitar, tried to like look up all the YouTube videos. That's how guitar started. But then, then when I started playing guitar, I realized, oh, like I have, like you have to sing to this. You can't just play guitar. Either you're going to be doing solos and you don't have to sing, or if you can't do solos, you just got to sing something to it. So I started learning some songs. First long song I learned was um, You Somebody by Kings of Leon. And yeah, I came back to New York and I decided I was going to sing in the subway. I don't know why I picked the subway. How old are you? Oof. This was in 2013, so... That's minus seven years, and I am 35, 28. 28. Pretty late. Wow. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, I decided I was going to go into to New York and start singing in the subway. I wanted to sing in a public place where people could hear me, but also people weren't. I didn't want them to listen too much because mm-hmm. I was nervous. I was I had stage fright, uh, fear of performing as a singer, um, uh, no confidence at all, um, just completely insecure. So I wanted to go to a place where people were busy doing what they were doing, but I would. It wouldn't be weird that I was singing. But they wouldn't have to sit there and watch or listen to it. Okay. So I went into I went to West Fourth Street. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an insecure genius. I went to West Fourth Street and um, I sang in the this this long sort of tunnel right before right. you get to the track, and I sung in that tunnel because I thought to myself, people would just be whizzing by, but it it will allow me to sing in front of people still, even though it's for a short amount of time each person. But then it, it won't like make me shut down because they're standing there looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Mm. And that's what I did. I went out and I sung and my heart was racing. And I sat there and I sung for five hours. And what are you One singing? Song. Just, the same song? Kings of Leon. It's the only song I knew. <laughs> that's the only song I knew. Wow. And I sat there and I sung that song. And I didn't plan how long I was going to sing, but the very first song, the very first time that I sung it, I felt this happiness and joy that I've never felt before. Wow. It was like the the happiness and joy of expressing something that you could never express in a way that you were never able to express it. And that's why I sung for five hours because it was like a high for me. It was like a high. Um, and right before I finished, this lady walked by. She was pissed. And she stopped and she said, I was over here five hours ago and you were singing the same song, <laughs> learn a new song. And she stormed off. And I was like, <laughs> What was she doing there for five hours? No, she was there. Like, she had came to the stop. Oh, okay. okay. To, she, I got you. Like, do whatever she was doing there. Oh, and then she oh, was okay, going okay. back to where she was going. So she was like, I was here oh. five hours ago. Yeah. And so um, when she said that, I was a little hurt. But then I thought, yeah, she's right. I should learn a new song. I should learn <laughs> If I'm going to be, like, it's in public, point. like, it's learn, learn. Sing it for five hours. Learn another song. Let's... That's and the least you, I could do. Were you, were you getting a little money? Were people, know, were people stopping at all? Were I think first that, couple times? that day I made $5. A dollar an hour. Wow. To be absolutely happy. Wow. It's worth it. Full of joy. Can't live off of it, but it was worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, and I would close my eyes too. So I didn't know who gave me the money. My eyes were closed. I could not look at people or open my eyes and see someone's face while I was singing. Um <laughs> And so I didn't know who gave me the who gave me the money, but I was happy to see that there was something. It was a sign that oh, I was like, okay, I can do this. I got to get way better, but there's possibility. Okay, you know. And then I just I, the second song I learned was um, "Stay" by Rihanna. It was the same chords. Love that song. Yeah, love that song. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so I started to sing more, and I started to realize that because I was singing so much, I get to a point around the third hour, the end of the third hour, I was so exhausted vocally and physically and emotionally and and energetically that I had an energy to do nothing else but sing the song. Meaning I realized while I was singing that I was putting on a voice Hmm. while I was singing. I didn't realize that the whole time. I was like, I'm putting on a voice. And I didn't realize that until I was too exhausted to put on the voice. Wow. And so I was like, I'm tired. I can't make it. 
So I have to just sing it with my voice. And I just started singing the song with my voice. And people started stopping. Hmm. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I couldn't believe it. And I didn't realize like, that you can be putting on something. And it's not just with your voice, with your personality, and just the way you are. You can, you, you can be putting something on, and you've done it for so long that you don't realize that you're doing it. But when you're, and that's why I love being exhausted or sick. I mean, for like, like temporarily. <laughs> I don't like being sick too long. But it always reminds me of who I am right. because you don't have energy to do all the extra shit. Wow. Well, that's a great point. Yeah. I've been saying shit a lot. Is that, should you, I you stop? You as much as you want. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So then, and then you start doing, when do you start doing it? Like little, you're doing it Monday through Friday, basically, right? I think. I was doing seven days a week. You're doing seven days a week. I was addicted to it. And how much are you making in a day? Uh, not a lot. I was not good. <laughs> but like, so are you, is there like another, like, how are you surviving? Like, are you, you're still working the fitness? Or? No. So I, when I, when I came to New York, I had uh, like a sales job doing uh, direct energy, going from business to business, trying to get them to switch their thing, their utility um, sub- pro- provider. I quit that in three months. And then, so I was like, I'm just going to sing and, and do acting. And so I was singing every day. I was living in one of those apartments where it's like a sketchy deal with a dude makes rooms out of every room. So there's no living room. There's no dining room. There's just a bunch of rooms in the kitchen. And um, I got, I had a room that cost $180 a week. Wow. So Where is it? This, this was in Washington Heights. What? And you're living with your son? No, no, no. My son is with his mom. So, Thank God. Mom. That would be a nightmare. Okay. He's, he's had a, because of her and, and his grandmother and their situation, he's had a very beautiful Okay. Good. Upbringing. Okay, good. Yeah, not like mine. Um, so I was living in this place, and um, yeah, I had to pay one eighty a week. So my goal was one eighty a week as a singer in the subway. I thought, okay, I'm singing five hours a day. If I can make one hundred and eighty dollars a week and a little bit more for food, I'll be all right, you know. And hopefully, I can pay my cell phone bill. And and I I made the one eighty most weeks, you know. Um, but barely in the beginning, it was, right. it was really, really. Any sane person would have stopped <laughs> to like, uh, what's that? That's thirty five hours, seven days a week, five days, five hours a day, right? Five hours a day. Yeah, five hours, five hours a day, thirty five hours, um, and making almost one eighty or a little bit more than one eighty, maybe two hundred dollars. Wow. Um, but I, I, I just, I was just happy. I was just so happy just doing what I love and expressing myself. So much pain from so many years. Right. So, so many years. Right. And I, you, in a group home with a bunch of other dudes who are angry, you can't be crying. Right. You, you cannot cry. You can't show that weakness. You can't express these emotions. So I like bottle all that stuff up. So to release it on a regular basis was just incredible. And then as I did it more and more and more, I got better. I learned new songs and I started to make more, you know, and eventually I was able to move out of that place and go get like a legit apartment with, you know, with roommates or whatever. What was like the most amount you would make? Like what, what would, when you're starting getting better, what was the average? And then what's like the most amount you ever made in a day? Um, I think the average basically in the beginning, I, I didn't really count cause it, it was not good for my, 
mental state to count how much I made, you know. But um, towards the middle of busking, I I do like a hundred a day. Okay. But I wasn't doing five hours anymore. I was doing like three hours. And now we're going to take a quick break because I want to talk to you about my friends over at Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Did you know that April is Testicular Cancer Awareness Month? Or did you also know one guy every hour, every day, is diagnosed with testicular cancer? So this is a reminder to all of the men listening out there to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Manscaped, in addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy manscaped, has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. Together, the Testicular Cancer Society and Manscaped are committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men ages 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls initiative. Manscaped recommends you check yourself at least once a month. And if you feel any lumps or swelling, give your doctor an immediate call. In addition to checking yourself regularly, you may want to check out the Perfect Package 3.0. Inside the Perfect Package, you'll find their electric trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0. This is the absolute best trimmer out there on planet Earth. And this waterproof electric trimmer also has a skin-safe technology that'll protect you from nicking your sack. The perfect package comes with a whole lot of gadgets, including the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, and anti-chafing performance boxer briefs that keep your package cool and smelling fresh all day. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today. Also, learn more about the testicular cancer screening at manscaped.com slash we-save-balls and share their educational video that may help save lives and many balls. Always use the right tools for the job when manscaping. Go to manscaped.com right now today, and you will save 20% off and free shipping when you use the code WTG. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use code WTG at manscaped.com. Please raise awareness for this great cause and go take care of yourself and keep yourself clean. And let's get back into it. And what's the most you ever made in a day, do you think? Like 350. Wow. In like two hours. Jesus. I was on fire. Yeah. <laughs> fire. I was on fire. 75 an hour is damn good. I was on fire. <laughs> and so then, okay, so then how did this like, you know, I mean, now YouTube, there's a, you know, you have a, a huge channel, mm-hmm. um, lots of views and all that. How did all this, like for, for you, so do you still do this every day? Yes. Every day, Monday through Friday or weekends too? Every day, unless I'm feeling like I need to recharge if I need energy. And And I just started now. I stopped doing it every day for a long time, for years. But just this year, I'm doing another experiment, kind of like the celibacy thing. Uh, Why why did you feel like you wanted to to redo it, restart it again? Because when when I'm not singing, um, I'm not as good. Like mm-hmm. anything else, if right. you're not practicing, right. you're not as good. And I, I mean, practicing in my room makes no sense to right. me. Right. Right. Um, and I'm also way more grounded when I'm singing every day. And um, I don't know, it's just, it was just the experiment that I wanted to do this year. I want to see what I become and what I, how I am at the end of the year. And also when I'm doing music more, I have more ideas and I write more. You know, And I'm working on my album, so I need to like really delve into it. And I thought it would be interesting to, to make that what I do mainly, you know, you, you you sort of become what you do. 
the most in mm-hmm. a day. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to become music, you know? So now you take me through like your average day. So now I, um, I usually, I, I'll get up whenever I wake up. And Where are you living these days? Um, in the Heights, Washington Heights. Washington yeah. Heights, but with yeah. roommates? like Just the- a two-bedroom apartment. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have a roommate, one okay. roommate. Yeah. I, I keep a roommate because I don't want to have to pay right. a certain right. level of rent because then I don't, because I don't want to, my, my life is about freedom and my passions. Right. And so if I put myself in a $2,000 apartment, then I have to like settle down and really focus on money to pay for that apartment. Right. And that's not where I'm at right now. You know, but I did have a moment where I was like, I'm 35 with a roommate. This is kind of <laughs> this is kind of messed up, but that's what I chose. You know what I mean? And I and I'm sure there'll be a time when I'm like, you know what? I will do whatever I have to do to to have my own place. It, yeah. Okay, so I interrupted you. What what's a, what's a daily daily look like? So daily, um, I just wake up whenever I wake up. I I get up and I go. You know, I do do my meditating and stretching and warming up, and then I go sing for three hours. I have like six, like seven or eight stations that I I um I go to. What are your main ones? I I'm not gonna tell you. I can't. Oh, I, I don't I'm, mind you knowing. I, okay, let's talk after. I don't want other like <laughs> other buskers to know. <laughs> okay, they will they will show up at my stations. You probably know the best stations now. Well, it's. Yes, for me, best for me, because everyone's right, different. Right. Because there's all the big stations that people go to, which I avoid. I try to avoid. Oh, really? Because it's just too loud, and my music is mm. calming, and mm. I, I don't want to be stressed, and I want to like try to ease people's stress. And it's easier to do in a quieter environment. So I go to the stations that, are, that people actually avoid. And I can say, sec- like 2nd Avenue on the F-Line, nobody goes to that station. That's, that's true. Nobody, no, you don't want to be there. It's a nightmare. It's, it's, the, it's, one, it's, a, it's a bad yeah. station. It's a, one, it's a bad station because of the, the predicament, though, like yeah. the homeless people. and, and Well, yeah. Uh, um, it's also, I don't think it's been tended to in like years. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. and also there, are, there were mosquitoes in that station, like now. Really? Yeah. Right. A mosquito tried to bite me now in February in that station. I'm like, okay, this, is, <laughs> this is weird. But um, so that station is great because it's quiet and the acoustics are incredible. People don't give as much as many tips, but it's worth it for me to go to that station because it's just wonderful, you know. Um, so those are the sorts of stations that I go to. Do you ever interact with other singers who are in the subways or other people who are doing the same kind of? Yeah, thing I know a lot of the buskers. Really? Yeah, yeah. We because we see each other often, you know. Um, either you'll be going to a station and they'll be there. It's never competitive. I mean. Competitive in the sense that they want to get the spot. Right. You know, you want to get there first. So, but if you see them there and sometimes if you see a musician at the spot you were going to, you just go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you go up to them after they finish the, the song and you say, hey, um, you know, do you know how long you're playing? Oh, you're playing till three? All right, I'm going to come back <laughs> or I won't come back. Wow. You know, sometimes you do that. Or, and then you get to know them. You're like, oh, what's up? You know. So, so you'll do that. So you get up around when you want, do a little stretching meditation, go perform for three hours mm-hmm. and then? Come back home. Do whatever I want, you know. Unless I have auditions for my agent for acting stuff, because I'm doing a lot of t- uh, film and TV now. So what? It, like ultimately, what? I mean, now you know, your album, your first album, uh, at least seemingly did very well. Um, you know, um, yeah, you know, we can. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I know on, on at least on YouTube, there's a lot of subscribers, a lot of views, whatever that means to you, whatever it doesn't. But in terms of like growing, how do you feel like? You know, what's your ultimate goal? I mean, I know what what I what I 
admire and appreciate. I think it's beautiful is that for you, it's really just about how it makes you feel and how yeah. the, the, the joy it brings you. Yeah. doesn't matter if you have a hundred million subscribers or 10 subscribers and like this, the, which I really appreciate because especially in, in this modern age, it's all about numbers and stuff like that. But for you, do you feel like um, you have particular goals? You know, is it more, is it another album? Is it, um, dare I say a Grammy? Is it stuff like is it stuff like no, that that matters to you? Not at all. It doesn't. None of not that matters. Even, to not you. at all. Not even a little bit. Huh? Not even a little bit. Um, the the main goal has always been um, freedom huh. and happiness. That's always the main goal. If I'm doing what I enjoy and I can do it when I want and I never have to get up when I don't want to, that's the main goal. Um, there are other goals under that. For example, this year is my second album. Um, and also now I am at a point where I feel like I want to play before I was too scared to play anywhere else other, other than the subway. You know, when I would get a gig somewhere, I was so nervous cause I just didn't feel like I didn't, I didn't feel worthy. You know, that insecurity was still there. It's hard to get rid of that insecurity. Um, but now I'm at a point where, and this is another reason why I'm singing every day, because when I'm singing every day, I'm better. And also, more people are seeing me and more people are messaging me saying, hey, can you sing at my wedding? Can you sing at my restaurant? Can you sing at this event? Can you sing at this party? And so the goal is now to sort of balance out between singing in the subway and singing in venues okay. at events. You know, um, If I could do half and half, that would be wonderful. But I, I love singing in the subway. And I think... I don't see there. There are points where I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore. But I don't really see myself stopping forever because it's just that human connection. You just can't beat it, you know. No one's ex expecting the music. You're not expecting them, and then something happens, and it's beautiful. And I get to experience that on a daily basis, you know. So um, I don't look at me singing in the subway now as a form of non-growth since I was doing it six years ago. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I look at growth as far as um, my guitar playing, my skills as a singer, my, uh, my songwriting. And um, yeah, where I sing doesn't matter to me. It's more when I think about growth, I think about me personally. And I've grown in so many ways outside of music. And I know that if I grow, for, for like the, uh, the celibacy, that was for growth, you know? And if I grow as a person, my music will grow. It just has to. There's no, there's no other way. Hmm. To wrap things up, how do you, uh, how do you hope to be remembered? <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny question because it reminds me of a song that I'm writing right now because I was sick and and when, you, when I was sick, I, I thought I would be thinking about music and acting, and it wasn't music and acting. It was if I sat down by the river enough mm -hmm. and just enjoyed it enough, just peace and silence. So um, I, I, it's, not, it's not about being remembered for me. Mm -hmm. It's not about being remembered. It's about doing what I love and being honest and true and then, and I know that when pe there are people who see that, you know, who are insecure and they don't have the confidence to do what they love and they will do it because of seeing that. 
And so, I mean, that's what I can hope for, that there are people out there who are like afraid to do what they want to do and they do it because they saw me do what I'm, what I'm afraid to do, you know? Beautiful. Um, you can find your album, I'm Right Here. It's on basically everything. All the things. Um, people can follow you on Twitter, you, Instagram at Demir Music. Yes. Um, that's D-A-M-I-Y-R. Yeah. People listening. <laughs> uh, YouTube, they can find all these great videos that we're talking about, referencing. Um, Demir, man, uh, just an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, you. I mean, your story is... Uh, is is truly beautiful. I mean, Josh is here for all my uh, for all my episodes, and we have we have a variety of people, man. We have have UFC fighters, uh, comedians, um, actors. I mean, you know, like, and not to say I don't love them. There's a lot of great people there too. But you know, uh, your story is is touching in so many different ways. And um, man, I'm just. Uh, I was really just there's so there's so much that I that I took away from it um, that I want to thank you for and uh, and I know my mom, whenever you were talking about just the 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 passion for what you do and the craft of of singing and what it brings to you um, I know my mom she started singing herself uh, just because it brought her joy she wasn't very good at it um, and she just has ever since just taken singing lessons and I see the joy it brings her and and. Uh, you know, I know she's gonna absolutely love listening to this and listening to you. So, um, so you know, and I think for for all the kids that have had similar stories and similar upbringings to to yourself, I know that if they listen, it's gonna be very inspiring for them. So, thank you for taking the time, and uh, I wish you absolutely nothing but the best. And you're uh, you're always welcome back on. Um, and thank you for having me, man. Beautiful. For real. And that's awesome about your mom. I love that. That makes me happy. <laughs> Perfect.